Well, it's really good to be back here. Um, I haven't been at Tabernacle now for a month, a little over a month. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, I really missed it a lot. For those who don't know, I'm in uh, seminary at Gordon-Conwell, and uh, I just finished my sixth semester. Um, so I only have one more left uh, before my Master of Divinity is finished, so I'm getting really close. Um, but the last month of the semester is always crazy, so I, I didn't come back at all. I just wrote papers and <laughs> holed up in, in the library for a while. <laughs> um, but from what I've been told, uh, if you've been here the past few weeks, you know that we've been doing a series called Moments, which is inspired by the video that we've been playing at the beginning of every service. Um, hopefully you've been enjoying that video. Maybe you've watched it and been kind of like, well, what is that about? What's going on? Um, and what that video depicts is several different people as they're moving closer toward God or true north. And some of what you see is meant to represent difficulty and feelings of despair, while other parts are meant to represent joy and gratitude. And the overall trajectory of that video is toward joy and gratitude. But you may have noticed that there are some dark moments along the way, right? And one of the themes of the video is that there is a hope that can be found even in the midst of those dark moments. There's a point where the words flash across the screen, we encounter hope. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Frank talked about uh, the moment of the dark night of the soul. But tonight, we're talking about the moment of hope, which is the, the moment that lifts you up out of that darkness. What is hope? Hope, to put it as simply as possible, is an expectation that everything is going to be okay. That things will work out. The hopeless view of life sees the future a lot like the sword of Damocles. Now, nobody gets scared here. <laughs> um, if you're familiar with the story of the sword of Damocles, it's a very ancient story about a king who always had a sword hanging over his head by a single horse hair, which I believe would be quite a bit thinner than this, but this should give you an idea. So just imagine this blade is hanging right above your head all the time. And I think that's a pretty good image of what it's like to have a hopeless view of life. You kind of look towards the future, and what you see is like a series of swords, or maybe just one big sword hanging over you, right? And you know that eventually, even if things are going well, eventually that horsehair is going to snap and this is going to come down and it's going to, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to injure you very severely, right? And if it doesn't kill you and it just injures you very severely, then the sword's going to go back up. Maybe things are good for a little while again, but then eventually it's going to come back down. And that'll happen over and over again until finally one time it comes down, boom, and it gets you for good and then you're gone, and that's the end of the story. That is the hopeless view of life. But then there's the hopeful view of life. Now, there are two major kinds, I think, of the hopeful view of life. There's naive hope, and there's real hope. Naive hope is the kind of hope that pretends either that there aren't any swords, or that no swords are ever going to fall on you. But that kind of hope doesn't really hold up for very long, does it? That's the uh, stick your head in the sand kind of hope, the cover your ears and say, la, 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 
approach, eventually reality breaks through. There are swords in life that hang over us, and they do fall. I mean, I don't want to be depressing, because this is supposed to be our night about hope, right? <laughs> but we have to be honest, okay? A lot of bad stuff happens. Lots of bad things happen. Planes crash, people get cancer, people lose their jobs and go bankrupt, people live in poverty, without food and clean water, crops fail, earthquakes and hurricanes destroy people's homes and their livelihoods, people experience pain and grief and humiliation, and eventually we experience death. So naive hope doesn't work. It doesn't work for long. But there's another kind of hope, and that's real hope. Real hope is the kind of hope that doesn't ignore any of that stuff. It's the kind of hope that's fully aware of all those swords, but it looks straight at them, and it says, you know what? No matter how many swords fall, I believe stubbornly, persistently, deeply, that things still really are going to be okay. That's real hope. Now, the passage that we're looking at tonight is one that talks about this kind of hope. It's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, and hopefully it'll be up there. Great, okay. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So the first thing I'd like us to notice here is that Peter is not talking about naive hope, right? Notice what he says at the end. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There were swords hovering over the churches that Peter was writing to. They were facing persecution. In other words, they were being threatened by hostility and violence because they were Christians, because of their faith. And Peter, didn't, he didn't deny that. He didn't uh, pretend that there weren't any trials, and he didn't promise that there weren't going to be any more trials in the future. But he declared that they had a living hope in the midst of those trials. He declared that those trials could not steal their confidence that things really were going to be okay. But why could they still have confidence that things were really going to be okay? Well, to answer that, I want to notice uh, I want us to notice two phrases in this passage. The first one is this one. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. For those of us who love him, God has promised that we will inherit a blessing, a gift, a prize, however you want to call it, that is everlasting. Nothing can take it away. It's permanent. I love the way that Peter uses three different words to hammer this home. And I, I looked at them in the Greek, and there's, they're a little bit different, but they kind of mean the same thing, too. So technically, he probably could have just used one and gotten the idea across. But it's clear, he just wants us to, to get this. Like, this inheritance, it can never perish, it can never spoil, it can never fade. Permanent, permanent, permanent. No other inheritance has that kind of permanence. None. Uh, my dad's side of the family has owned this house in Maine since the early 1900s. 
And it was old when they got it, like over 100 years old. Uh, so the house is over 200 years old now. And I love that house. You know, I've gone there for a little while every summer. And there are times where I've thought, boy, I would love to inherit that house. But then I think, oh man, I mean, it's got foundational problems, and the windows are breaking, and the shed looks like this, you know? And the roof's going to need to be replaced, and I mean, there's a lot of swords hanging over this house. Because it is an inheritance that's earthly. It's an inheritance that's subject to perishing and spoiling and fading, like all earthly inheritances. But God offers an inheritance that doesn't have any swords hanging over it, right? And that's a reason to have real hope. The other phrase in this passage that tells us why they could have hope and why we can have hope, why we can have confidence that things really are going to be okay, is this one. The coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, when Peter looked ahead to the end of all history, he didn't see the extinction of the human race. He didn't see the universe burning up in a heat death like some scientists say it will eventually do. Uh, He didn't see death and destruction and nothingness. He saw salvation. He saw something far better than the world as it currently is. You may have noticed that our culture has a tendency to look forward to the future and see destruction, not salvation. You know, post-apocalyptic entertainment is very popular these days, right? Um, You've got stuff like Cormac McCarthy's The Road and The Walking Dead. And these these things depict a very bleak view of the future. Um, And I do think there's some truth in what they're depicting because without divine intervention, right, the story of this world will end in death and destruction. Eventually, that, that, that'll happen, without divine intervention. But Peter believed that God had intervened and would continue to intervene, and that for those of, us, those of us who love God, the last time, the end of the story, will reveal salvation. So the very last part of the story, it's not going to be nuclear holocaust or takeover by robots uh, or zombies. <laughs> Uh, but our salvation, and that's a reason to have real hope. So hope is possible even as we acknowledge the swords that hang above us because God offers us an everlasting inheritance and because the final part of the story is not a sword, but salvation. But you might say, well, isn't this still kind of a naive hope? I mean, yeah, you're not denying that there's bad stuff in life, but why should we believe that God has an everlasting inheritance for us? Why should we believe that the end of the story is salvation? How isn't that just wishful thinking? Well, I would say it is wishful thinking, unless one thing is true. Unless Jesus actually rose from the dead. You know, Peter says that this hope comes to us how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if we want hope, if we want to have real confidence that in the end, things are really going to work out okay, we have to look to the resurrection of Jesus. We have to orient our lives around faith in that idea that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, he proved that he has power over death, right? He proved that the sword of death 
that hovers over us isn't necessarily the last part of the story. And he proved that we have reason to really trust him when he says, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. You know, if he had said that but he hadn't risen from the dead, I'd be less inclined to believe it. But because he rose from the dead, I'm more confident that I can take him at his word. But then you might push back a little more, right? And you might say, okay, I get the idea that we have a reason to hope if Jesus actually rose from the dead, but how can I really know that Jesus rose from the dead? Right? I mean, I've never seen anyone come back from the dead, and I haven't seen Jesus walking around lately, so how can I know? Well, we can't prove that Jesus rose from the dead with a scientific formula. It doesn't work that way. But I do believe that we can have real confidence in Jesus' resurrection. Some of you might know that before I was in seminary, I was in campus ministry uh, at UConn. And a big part of my ministry was spending time with skeptical people. So I tried very hard to become skilled at presenting arguments for Jesus' resurrection that had to do with facts and history. And, you know, I think there are compelling reasons based on history to believe that Jesus really did rise from from the dead, that that's a, a historical event. And, you know, if you're curious about those reasons and you've never learned about them, I would encourage you, you know, to pursue that knowledge. Go out and Get, uh, you know, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or The Reason for God by Tim Keller or something like that. That's good stuff. But I want us to realize something. The evidence that Jesus rose from the dead doesn't just come from looking back at something that happened 2,000 years ago. We don't realize that Jesus rose from the dead simply by studying history. We realize that Jesus rose from the dead because we experience the power of his resurrection now, in the present. Because Jesus didn't rise from the dead and then die again, right? If he did, then we wouldn't have any reason for hope. No, Jesus rose from the dead and he's still risen from the dead. That's why Peter says that we've been born into a living hope. A living hope. The hope that's available to us doesn't just come from something that happened in the past, but from something that's happening in the present, because Jesus is alive now. True, he's not walking around uh, on earth in a literal body, um, but, you know, the Bible says that he ascended to heaven after his resurrection. But he is alive in heaven, and he makes that known to us in the present, here and now. And how does he do that? He does that by doing things like transforming lives, by convicting us of sin, and by giving us a sense of his presence when we gather together in places like this. So if you want to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, don't just look for him in a history book or an apologetics book. You know, get out and spend time with the church. You know, talk to someone. Talk to someone who is a slave to drugs or hatred or racism and then was rescued from that by Jesus' influence. Because those people are out there. You know, some of them are here, praise God. People do have stories of Jesus' resurrection power at work in their own lives. I hope all of us do, to some extent. And those show that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, because he's risen from the dead, real hope is possible. So we can have hope. You know, we can have hope because God offers us an everlasting inheritance, and we can have hope because salvation waits for us at the end of the story. And we can have confidence in these things because Jesus is risen from the dead.
It's good news. Before I close, though, I want to talk about one other way that God gives us hope. And this has been, um, this has been really significant for me personally in my own life. I believe that God gives us hope not only by promising us an everlasting inheritance and salvation, but also by changing the purpose of our lives. Um, I think if you surveyed most recent college graduates over the last 50 years, and you asked them, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? They would say things like, I want to marry someone who I really love. I want to get a job that I enjoy and make a lot of money. I want to have a family. I want to be healthy. I want to make a name for myself. I want to have friends. I want to have fun. And that's all, those are all good desires. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if the purpose of our lives is just to fulfill those hopes and dreams, then what happens when they aren't fulfilled? You know, what happens if we never do get married? Or if we get married, the marriage goes sour, or it's really difficult. What happens if we're never able to have kids? Uh, What happens if we're never able to find a decent-paying job where we actually do something that we love? What happens if we get cancer, or MS, or a debilitating disease? Well, if the purpose of life is to do those things, you know, to get married, have a family, get a high-paying job, be healthy, then when those things don't happen, we'll be completely and totally crushed. We'll lose our hope because our hopes will have been dashed. But God frees us from that trap, see, because he changes the purpose of our lives because God doesn't define success by all that stuff, right? God says that the purpose of our lives is for our character to become more like Jesus. That's what it is. I'll say that again. God says that the purpose of life is for our character to become more like Jesus. So can your character become more like Jesus if you're married? Yeah. Can your character become more like Jesus if you're single? Absolutely. Can your character become more like Jesus if you have a good job? Yes. Can your character become more like Jesus if you have a job that you hate? Definitely. Can your character become more like Jesus if you're rich? Yes. Can your character become more like Jesus if you're poor? Yes. Can your character become more like Jesus if you have children? Yes. Can your character become more like Jesus Jesus if you're childless? Yes. See, once we decide that the primary goal of our lives is to reflect Jesus' character, we have a purpose that can't ever be taken away from us. Never. You might lose the opportunity to become a professional baseball player or a model or to have children, you know, but every day that you're still breathing, whether you're eight years old or 108 years old, you have the opportunity to become more like Jesus. Every time you wake up and you're still breathing, even if you screwed up big time yesterday, tomorrow that opportunity is still there. And so by changing our purpose, God makes it possible for us to always have hope. Because we're no longer hoping in things that the swords of life can destroy. We're hoping in something that no sword can rob us of. Because even when the swords fall, especially when the swords fall, we can still reflect the character and the love of Jesus. The one who's given us a reason to believe that in the end, things really will be okay. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are our living hope 
And God, I pray that the reality of your resurrection from the dead would be something that each one of us experience. Even in those dark moments, Lord, I pray that what would lift us up out of those dark moments would be the awareness of your resurrecting power. The fact that you conquered death, you paid the price for sin, and through you, we have an everlasting inheritance. We have something that the world can never take away from us.